Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Blaster Cannon, Den of Geeks Star Wars podcast about everything expanded universe. I'm your host, Megan Kraus. I'm here with my co-host, Saf. Our third, Paul Herman, was unable to be here tonight, but we're going to go ahead with a discussion about the final episode of The Mandalorian and have some fun with that. How's it going, Saf? Not too bad. It's really hot here, but I'm excited to talk about Mandalorian. Oh, man. We're we're going to do the same thing we always do, which is the grass is always greener on the other side. So I'm like, I wish it was hot here, but also, like, it's too hot. So, yep. Yeah. I would like it to be cold, but also not that cold. So we need a nice in-between. Mm-hmm. We need to just balance the two halves of the world out, like some kind of yep. avatar or something. <laughs> so right before, just before we started recording... I got Disney Books sent me a book of Mandalorian posters, which was extremely Ooh. unexpected to me. I never really know what they're going to send me, but it was this book of like, there's like 12 posters and they're double-sided. So maybe it's six of them. No, whatever. There are a lot of them. And but they're <laughs> small. They're like, you know, 11 by seven sort of thing. So I, I got a bunch of them. They're uh, all different art styles, like some varied art. Some is very cartoony. Some is very detailed. It took me a little bit to figure out that the way a poster book like this works is that there, there are staples on the back. So you have to, I peeled the staples apart and then you could actually take the posters out without ripping them so that's my review of how to use a poster book because it took me a minute to figure out they're pretty cool some of them are really cute and but the real reason i'm telling this story is not just because i'm thankful to disney books for this moment of delight of suddenly having mandalorian posters in my house (laughs) but also because i put out a call on facebook like there are i have a bunch of these things i'm not going to put them all up on my walls so do you if anyone that i see regularly wants them i will like give them to you if you know me in my real life and my dad who i had kind of forgotten loved the mandalorian he and i have very different tastes in media usually we don't really connect over that very much but he had loved the mandalorian and he was like oh i want one of the green ones which is of course a poster of baby Yoda and it says Aww. protect attack snack <laughs> and <laughs> I was just filled with so much joy that this is what my dad wanted and that I could provide it to him that is extremely cute honestly that's what Star Wars is all about yeah it, it really is and it's really nice to be able to connect 
uh, with my dad over that because he hasn't really gotten like deep into any Star Wars things since the original trilogy, and now he really likes Mando, so it's it's nice. Oh, that's really sweet. What a good note to start a Mandalorian episode on. Yes. So as usual, before that, we are going to go into news a little bit. Um, Of course, the largest news of this week in Star Wars was the Clone Wars trailer that came out yesterday, season nine, um, yesterday being Wednesday, January 22nd. Season nine will be out on February 21st on Disney Plus. So they showed us this kind of cinematic trailer and cinematic trailer. It is not a video game. It's a long trailer is what I mean. And so there were a lot of things we'd already seen in this trailer. For me, I was kind of like, eh, okay, sure. And then somebody pointed out that Caleb Dune is in it, and suddenly I care. (laughs) Wait, I totally missed that. Oh my god. There's a very brief shot of Deppa and Caleb just standing, like, looking at a hologram. They're just, like, part of a scene. I don't know if they're going to speak. I don't know if they're just in the background. But... Precious, precious Caleb Dune is there. Oh, we're going to see baby Caleb Dune. I'm so, so excited about that. <laughs> I Just give me all the Rebels material. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just I was actually just talking with my friend on Twitter who's who's seen Rebels and really enjoyed Rebels. And she's only just started watching The Clone Wars now. And I'm like, what is The Clone Wars like as a prequel to Rebels? That's wild. And having Caleb in there is really cool to link to them again. Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. I'd love to talk to people about what, like, the order in which they saw things and how that affected them. Because, you know me, I'm like, watch it in whatever order you want. There don't, there are no rules unless you like rules, in which case I can provide them. But really, it's like, just do what you're <laughs> interested in. Do what's easiest for you to access. So that, but then when people do, like, watch things out of the chronological order I experience them in, that's super interesting. Yeah, I always want to know what people think when they do that because I'm like, I have clearly no experience with this. I don't know how to have experience with this because obviously I've seen it all already. So whenever people do that, I'm like, ooh, tell me your thoughts. That's so interesting. You just have to time travel, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But also time travel and forget things. Hmm. Okay, we'll work on that. (laughs) So the the other big thing that's connected to both the expanded universe and like many different incarnations, books, etc., and the Mandalorian specifically is that this season of of the Clone Wars is going to get into the Siege of Mandalore, which uh, Giancarlo Esposito Moff Gideon mentions in this episode, and which has been referenced in books like the Ahsoka novel. So we know that Maul and Ahsoka are both major players there, as are the Mandalorians. So that's interesting. I feel like I've... I almost feel like I've watched Siege of Mandalore already because it's been in concept art and referenced in so many things. And I'm on the side of, like, instead of being like, cool, I'm excited to see this thing I've heard about so much. Instead, it's like, eh, I feel like I've seen this before. But that might be my general, like, downer Clone Wars opinion. How do you feel about that? I feel kind of similar in that I've already uh, seen it. Like... We've gotten so much around it and seen concept art for it that it feels kind of weird that we haven't actually seen it already. So I feel you on that. But I'm also really excited to see it because there are certain things that, like, there will be character moments that will probably make me cry. And also I'm really excited for mocap mall. 
Yeah, that's, I know we've talked about this before, but that is definitely the thing I'm most excited about too, is uh, Ray Park doing the mocap and Sam Witwer doing the voice, which I think general consensus is that that's the best possible mall combination. Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of the Clone Wars, there was also announcement of a new comic series today. I have not historically paid a ton of attention to the IDW comics, but this one sounded kind of fun because it is um, described as an anthology uh, with, it's called The Clone Wars Battle Tales, and described as an anthology about clones telling the story of the war. So, this is written by Michael Moretzi, Moretzi, and uh, with art by a whole bunch of different people. Ariana Florian, Megan Levins, Valentina Pinto, David Tinto, and Philip Murphy. So this is just like, okay, like Clone Wars tie-in. If you're going to make something, I like this idea of like stories from individual clones with a bunch of different art styles. And this is coming out in April or like the, it'll run weekly in April. So (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing that's happening i do like clone content so i'll probably get that at some point see this is exactly where my brain went it was just like i like clone content in general and this reminds me that there's going to be that clone wars short story anthology too that has oh yeah i forgot about that writing clone content and i'm so ready for this <laughs> oh i totally forgot about that i'm so excited for that <laughs> Yoon <laughs> Holly wrote um, Machineries of Empire, which is a, a military science fiction series, and it's extremely good. Um, I will say, like, look up content warnings before you read it, if you like to do that. But in terms of writing space battles and in terms of writing space science that feels like magic, he's so good. So highly recommend. So to me, we're in a weird place right now with Star Wars novels, because... There are none? I feel like yeah. it's been a while. It has. What was the last thing we got? Alphabet Squadron? Oh, no. Resistance Reborn. Resistance Reborn was oh, the Oh, yeah. Yes. That's right. And then the Rise of Skywalker novelization is going to be in the spring. So, yeah. I mean, there was Resistance Reborn. That was a thing. But there are going to be no more, like, Del Rey novels until the next original Del Rey novel is in May. And... That is so that's kind of weird to me, be, especially because Arcs of Queen's Peril are out now, which is the Disney books, the Disney publishing Padme book, which is a prequel to uh, E.K. Johnston's Queen's. What's the next word? Shadow? Yes, Queen's Shadow. <laughs> thank you. So Queen's Peril is out in june but arcs are out now which is confusing to me because this is very early so yeah, this is a really early arc yeah yeah i haven't touched it yet i might look at queen's shadow again like kind of flip through it before i even start this one because i remember a lot of imagery from queen's shadow but not a lot of what actually happened so this one um will take place before that but it might be nice to do a refresh. And then the next original Star Wars book, like chronologically, is is the, the hilariously named Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. Amazing. <laughs> Which is just, I love everyone on the Del Rey team whom I know. Like everyone I've spoken to there, like I respect them greatly. 
but these names are bad. <laughs> these <laughs> names are real bad. <laughs> I have not liked a title of a Star Wars book. Queen's Peril. That's a fine title. The Del Rey folks, they have a different strategy going on. <laughs> yep. They really do. <laughs> so, Thrawn Ascendancy, Chaos Rising will be in our future. But as of right now, kind of kind of quiet. Just having a chill book time. I guess it's time for people to catch up on books, like me, who has still not read Queen's Shadow. <laughs> and that's about it for news today. I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Do you remember oh, anything else? Oh, uh, the Kenobi series has been delayed for rewrites to make sure that they don't mess it up during filming. And that's, you know, I think that happens. So whatever. Now, there were some rather unfounded rumors that the Kenobi series was cancelled, which I believe yep. were completely out of nowhere rumors. The original where... rumor there was from a parody account. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> and there were people who were like, people that, you know, I trust with news, who were saying like, I'm getting mixed reports on this, so like who knows what's actually happening. Um and then the news that it got delayed, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that explains why it was mixed. Okay. So what was the source for the delay and what was are there any more details behind that? Oh, it's like reportedly delayed. Collider is reporting it, so Okay. Yeah. You know, I think every Star Wars project lately has been has had some kind of delay some kind of changes it's just par for the course now and i mean like the thing is we didn't really have a date for when kenobi was fully happening no strict dates just 2021 i think so you know whatever it's gonna come out at some point and people are gonna watch it yes i'm very excited for what deborah chow is gonna do with that it looks so good i know well looks it's not like we've really seen anything but even <laughs> mcgregor has been is the perfect person for this yep and he's been growing out his mullet so you know <laughs> so speaking of reshoots Gary Witta has been answering some questions about Rogue One on Twitter and one of them that he answered was why is there a shot in the trailer of Rey running on the beach with the, the data you mean Jin? I do <laughs> <laughs> they really reshot it it's totally different now <laughs> it's about Rey now so Jin running on the beach with the data and somebody asked why was this in the trailer? This was huge speculation when it came out. Why is this in the trailer when it's not in the movie? And he had said that in one of the the versions in in the progress, the 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 place where the data was stored and the transmission tower were two separate buildings. So that's why she was just moving from one building to the other and then they changed it to make that the same location, which I thought was fascinating. And like, I wish we had known that, you know, when the movie came out and this didn't make as much of a buzz on Twitter as I thought it would, but I was like, what? Yeah, that was really cool. Him answering questions about the stuff has been really nice. Getting a bit of yes. a look at the behind the scenes of Rogue One. Yes. Okay, so that really is all of the news. Yeah, there it is. That's the news. So that brings us into The Mandalorian Episode 8. It may be necessary or unnecessary to say that this will be totally spoiler-filled because we are talking about the finale and everything in it. We're also <laughs> going to kind of try to focus on the connections to the expanded universe because that's what we're about here, um, but also a little bit of a review of like what we thought of the episode, which... I personally thought was excellent. So this is episode eight, Redemption. 
<laughs> and where do we let's see should we go through the scene by scene or should we do like an overall this is what i thought of it first i think an overall is good first i i loved it i mean i knew i was going to because it was a taika episode um but in that first little bit there with the stormtroopers uh instantly i was sold because i was like this is absolutely taika but it also felt quite star wars just with the aesthetics and everything um and yeah the entire episode was very good very emotional really good at tying up all the threads that the season had had um being really fun <laughs> and like kind of twisting on star wars stuff in the way that you know taika likes to mess with stuff um it was good it was good mm-hmm. so taika waititi is known very much for his humor and i think he juggles a lot of things in this episode including humor the other thing that struck me so strongly about the direction and why this one had such a strong di- directorial voice is the way he filmed the machinery like the technology there yeah. were some moments like the clunks when the stormtroopers open the latches on the e-web case are just, I love them so much. And I do not really know why, except that it sounded like it was happening in my living room. Yeah, it was really good with that kind of stuff. So that kind of goes into, um, this is a decent segue into the first scene. So I <laughs> loved how how connected to the EU this episode was. Some of this show and we even may have said this on this podcast, it's good at being accessible no matter who you are, whether you've seen a Star Wars movie or none or all of them. It's The characters are self-contained enough that it's pretty understandable no matter what, and it's fun no matter what. But that definitely led to some cases where there was speculation of like, is this even going to follow established story things? And then this episode came along and it's like suddenly... The EU fans are being fed. Suddenly it feels like it's connected to everything else. Suddenly there's an E-Web, which is like a gun in the Jedi Knight games that I played (laughs) when I was a teen. And I was like, I know exactly what it is to be on the other side of that thing. And I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much connection to other parts of the saga in this episode, which I really loved. So we start out with our heroes in the cantina under siege by the E-Web, which I just was such a, I don't I know why. I had such an excited that. moment when they said right. E-Web. I was like, oh my God, it's an E-Web. Yeah. <laughs> like, the friends I was watching was like, what is an E-Web? That doesn't make any sense. And I was like, oh, they had them in uh, the Republic Commando books. They were a thing in yeah. that. And, like, I wouldn't have told you, if you had asked me, you know, name me some obscure thing about Star Wars, I wouldn't have said, like, yeah, I love the e web <laughs> I totally forgot the e web was a thing until then, because it's been yeah. a long time since I've, like, seen a reference to it. But it's just been dormant in our memories the whole time. And yeah. also in Taika Waititi's memory, apparently. Or John Favreau. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it's probably Taika and part of it's Favreau, because I know that Taika is a huge nerd. Like, <laughs> massive nerd. <laughs> So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the references did come from him as well. Um, I think the E-Web initially came into Star Wars in like the really old RPG books as like a thing. Um, So that's like a deep, deep cut. So this whole beginning scene really concrete. So this is um, Moff Gideon processes out of his unnecessarily extra TIE fighter and basically (laughs) demands the surrender of of our heroes of Cara Dune, the Mandalorian, and um, Grief Karga. I love Moff Gideon, Moff Gideon. Like somehow he knows who all that they are. He's clearly read their files. He's able to kind of pinpoint 
what he thinks is going to sway each of these people. So this first scene with him is just Giancarlo Esposito ominously reading like the backstories you write for your D&D character <laughs> and just reading them. <laughs> and it's amazing. It's so, so good. And also like ties in well to him being a previous ISB agent yes. because he knows so much. He knows way too much. And that's not really like, a, not all moths are like that, but you can tell that he came from a very uh, intelligence area. And also, he just exudes so much charisma that even if he's reading these D&D, like, backstories, he reads them so well. Yeah, and and to me, I mean, the dialogue was exciting because it mentioned things like Cara Dune being from Alderaan, which I love so much. Oh my so god, yes. Much, so much. But <sighs> When he said Cara not... Dune of Alderaan, I felt yeah. my heart, like, have a little moment. It explains so much. And I want, I'm going to, we're going to talk about Cara Dune more too. But that's not like, I don't think that's necessarily great dialogue by itself. It's yeah. like, it could have come off as really stiff and instead it's extremely charismatic. And that was nice. Yeah. What a good actor for this role. I He just came out of nowhere for me. I had no idea. I had no like reference for him. And then here he is. Yeah. So... And then we get um, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally as the stormtroopers who have captured <laughs> Baby Yoda and are being extremely rude. Now, this is, I think, when every fan felt their heartbreak slightly when these stormtroopers just smack Baby Yoda. <laughs> They're so mean to Baby Yoda. <laughs> it's it's terrible, and everyone knows stormtroopers are that's just what they are they're like the action figures you play on the evil side and then you see them hit a baby and go oh they have to die yep so never in my life have i hated a stormtrooper as much as those two but also very much enjoyed their dialogue so much yeah it was so funny it was so effective the little moment where he's like trying he's just shooting his blaster because he has nothing else to do and misses is very funny (laughs) oh the entire i like just from that little scene alone i was like i want taika to have so much star wars just give him so much Star Wars because it's so good. And I think it fit the universe. To me, this was, I am a humorless person. <laughs> That's not totally true. <laughs> but <laughs> thank you, Saf. Um, I was like, that doesn't seem entirely right. <laughs> but I definitely have this like knee-jerk feeling of like, oh no, that's too silly for Star Wars sometimes. <laughs> and this was right on the edge of too silly for me, but it never went over the edge. And I can't really define where that edge is, but it's important. And yeah, it he's, he's really good at balancing serious and humor. Like that's, I'd say like his specialty really from like all the things I've watched. And he really does use humor to really kind of hammer in the seriousness of stuff as well. Um, and yeah, I think having that bit of lightheartedness, but then also like uh mushing it in with like <laughs> being like these stormtroopers are awful and they must die the empire is bad um i think was a good balance ig11 rides in like a heroic cowboy and saves the baby and this is kind of we saw some of this in the previews where he's like spinning around <laughs> and protecting baby yoda and races back to the cantina 
Um, I don't have too much more to say about him except like it was cool. He was an effective character for me. What What do you think? The animation of him is just extremely cool. Like it really feels old school stop motion, and I really like it. Do you know whether there was a reason for that? Like, is there a technique they used or not sure? I'm not totally sure. I assume it's some kind of CGI um, because Favreau is very into his digital technologies. But I don't think we've gotten any, like, real behind-the-scenes info on how they did that kind of stuff yet. And I really want that because it looks incredibly cool. Yes. So once... IG-11 returns to the cantina, a fight breaks out, and we get this big fight scene, which has several, many important, very important points, which Mm -hmm. include the presence of Cara Dune and the presence of the Death Troopers. Death Troopers! (laughs) Which, every once in a while, I, like, remember that Death Troopers are surgically enhanced, and I'm like, oh, I'm interested in this. Yeah, (laughs) same. I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> oh, Spartan parallels to Halo. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're just evil Spartans. Yeah, so... and they also just look... I love their look, and I love how they sound, and I just love everything about them. Like, they're evil as hell, but they're so cool. And I think this fight scene did a good job of showing how, like, wh- not why they were tougher than other stormtroopers, but they were obviously the mini bosses in this game like they took more hits they like had heavier weapons it was choreographed to make it different differentiate them yeah 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 (laughs) i know we saw them in like the trailers beforehand but i totally forgot they were in this until i saw them again i was like oh i love them (laughs) and it's I'm a little tempted to be, as usual, I'm of two minds about a thing, where I'm a little tempted to be like, "Mm, why are they still around? If they were an early Empire thing, why are they still here? Why does this all look very much like the Empire when it's post-Return of the Jedi? But also, I don't care. There are Imperial Remnants. We know he's part of an Imperial Remnant. Not the, I think that's an important distinction from Mm. the EU. The Imperial Remnant is not a thing, but an Imperial Remnant can be a thing. And yeah, it's only a thing in the expanded universe, at least. Like that's the main thing I'm drawing off when it comes to like Imperial Warlords and stuff, like with the Anoet sector in uh <laughs> that yes. Star Wars mobile game Uprising. Um <laughs> there's very the much like a kind of game that we reference a weird amount, yes. Yeah, that game that I did actually play and then always forget about until it comes back in my brain. Yeah, I always draw on the EU because of like I read the X Wing books, because of Rogue Quadrant, and there's a lot of stuff about like Imperial factions post the fall of the Empire and warlords and stuff. And so whenever it comes into canon, I'm like, ooh, there's more of this stuff. I like this. I keep I keep expecting to see a Pelion type character. And then <laughs> yeah, like we don't have Pelion, but we do have Ray Sloan. And would Ray Sloan approve of Moff Gideon? Probably not. Not I don't know. He's trying to bring order to the lawless outer rim, so maybe she might approve of that. It's hard to know with her because she does have she has very strong moral guidelines, and it's hard to know exactly where she's going to land with those. <laughs> but. I do think, because we do get a bit in Alphabet Squadron where there's, like, a Death Trooper washout, like, right at the start. Yes, Um, a tiny brief mention of, she could tell by the scars that that was a Death Trooper washout. And then I'm like, this is my favorite book ever. (laughs) Yeah, right, same. (laughs) God, we're so so easy to please. (laughs) One sentence about super soldiers 
10 out of 10. <laughs> we're there. But the fact that there are still like death trooper washouts around means that like, you know, there's probably still death troopers being made. And it's probably a very specific thing to certain like moths or something because they were kind of like director Krennic's thing. He was like, these guys are cool and I want cool guys around me. So I imagine, yeah, like people like Moth Gideon or whatever were still making Death Troopers happen. They were just like for more elite missions, which is why we never really saw them in the original trilogy. Mm, that's an interesting point that um, Krennic's legacy specifically like means a specific thing. Like that's associated with the Death Star. That's associated with almost the more cerebral side of the Empire, right? With Which Gideon would probably like. Yeah, I'd say so. Cool. How Look at us Ray linking these of... things to everything else in the universe. I've connected them. <laughs> How old is Ray Sloan at this point, do you think? Can she oh, and Gideon God. hang out? I think I think they're around the same age, maybe. I think they could hang out. Yes. That can be like an inter-empire hate ship. Yeah, I dig that. I'm here for that. Great. Okay. This is what happens when Paul isn't here. <laughs> yeah. Paul needs <laughs> to contain us. <laughs> so... The other highlight of this scene for me, uh, Mando's combat is very cool, but Cara Dune all takes the stage for me, partially because we know now why she's fighting, why being a soldier is so important to her has to have something to do with or be based in the destruction of Alderaan. And yeah, I think it's great. She has this scene where she is like protecting baby Yoda and baby Yoda saves the whole crew right from the fire i do like as well with the the fire trooper flame trooper that's the right word um when he came in it felt very i'm gonna say republic commando again felt very republic commando with like the way his armor was painted um because like in the game republic commando <laughs> they've got their very specific like color paints um to kind of differentiate the characters and when i saw him i don't know if it's a reference to another thing in star wars as well but i saw that and i was like maybe tyka's played that game <laughs> Mm, yeah so it's their markings are similar to but not exactly identical to the clone the flame clones so yeah quite, that too mm, it's it's the red i guess this red is universal symbol for fire that's yeah <laughs> you know yeah but yeah the silhouette of that character was super cool the kind of heavy backpack and everything and also i know what it's like to be on the other side of flame troopers in video games too and i don't like that <laughs> and it's the worst it's the worst <laughs> so they do manage to break through a vent in the cantina and there's a chance to escape but the mando is wounded we also learn along the way that his name is din jaren which like all right <laughs> what a name what a name <laughs> it's fine it's a very star wars name that's for sure and he's wounded um he has to take off his helmet to see how bad the wound is and ends up agreeing that IG-88 can see, or IG-11, excuse me, <laughs> can see his face only because IG-11 is not a living being. This was definitely, oh my gosh, who was I? Was it you who said you looked away during the scene? Yeah, I think I, I did it. I looked away and then I looked back and then I looked away again. I did not like it. <laughs> it I felt wrong. That. So much because I agree I did not look away but the show had done such a good job of showing how important this was to Mando that I felt uncomfortable and that's like really effective I love when shows can bring you into the kind of the make the taboos of the fiction feel taboo 
Yeah, it's kind of wild. Also, I love that like my brain the entire time was like, I know who's under that helmet. I know what he looks like. And then I saw him, my brain was like, oh, it's him. I know. <laughs> like, it's a surprise. Shock. <laughs> also, his head looks so small compared to his armor. I was not actually prepared for that. <laughs> he looks so distressed the whole time. Yeah. He's just a good, hardworking boy. I love that boy. I also really liked that um, Kara, like, was, like, I'm not leaving my stupid boy behind. Like, the the relationship that those two have, whether it's, whether you read it's romantic or platonic or whatever, is just so powerful and strong. And I really, I just, I love them so much. And I love yeah. that she was like, I feel even you better bring him with you or else I'm going to, like, hunt you down and destroy you. Yes. And so I read them as having such extreme sibling energy to me. Mm-hmm. And this I thought was really effective with that because like there's the scene where she's kind of like holding on to him and then there's the one that you just mentioned and it all felt very much like love with that edge of like don't you dare annoy me by dying on me. Yeah, and I always love those kind of um, dynamics in fiction. They're always really fun. Yeah. And I'm just like going back to the Alderaan thing, I'm just impressed by that one line, just that one little bit of like digging into the lore and like saying one little thing and instantly you're like her entire character makes so much sense like it's hard to do that but they did that to me also it makes the the face tattoo have a lot more meaning because it always looked like a like a tear tattoo to me and i can see her getting that after alderaan and that's also why like it's in such a prominent place where i mean she could cover it up with a mask but like it's so prominent and it reads very much like a memorial to me. Yeah, I really dig it. So they escape into the culvert, which I had been thinking was the word covert. Like, I was hearing it as, um, oh, something else similar that convent. I was hearing it as convent. <laughs> and I was like, what? This has gotten really religious. <laughs> But it is a culvert where the Mandos live, where they find Mandalorian armor piled on the ground, not really scattered, but like neatly piled, and find the armorer, who, thank goodness, gets her own fight scene. So oh, yes. she um, gives Din Djarin his next uh, level up, which is the jetpack. <laughs> the so ultimate much- Mando level up, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so much of this show has felt like a game to me and like other people have written about this, but this part in particular was like you've unlocked your strongest weapon now. And but also he's like a kid with a driver's permit cuz he's never flown one before. <laughs> yeah, and I like the way that she talks about it cuz she's like you need to bond with it basically. And it's kind of cool that the Mandalorians don't just view their armor and weapons as just that. They view them as part of themselves and as like their own little Things that they have to fully understand and identify with and everything. Mm-hmm. I like the kind of spiritual element of it. Um, did he bond with it, though? Did he? Not I sure. I mean, who knows? <laughs> he bonded with it in a moment of extreme uh, need. Yeah, and you know what? That happens sometimes. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It happens. So she gives him the jetpack, the crew escapes, and the armorer is left to fight the stormtroopers, which she does amazingly. I'm so glad we got a fight scene for her, and especially one in which she uses, like, the tools of her trade. She's, like, throwing people into the fire. She's hitting people (laughs) with maces. There's a part where she cracks a stormtrooper's helmet, like, fully, like, you see a piece of it open up, which was incredible. I really like her. Um, That was a good time. It was very cool, and also showed why um, the rest of the Mandalorians had so much respect for her. Like, the armor is a tough a tough character and a very high place of respect and not surprised i mean to be able to um create and handle mandalorian armor you probably have to work up to that real hard um and it makes sense like i was so worried because there was that moment where she's like go on i'm gonna i'm gonna defend this stuff and i was like oh no this is where she dies and then she was absolutely kicked butt instead and I was like, okay, cool. I like that. I prefer that. This is really good. I know. Because that's the trope, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the moment. And then and then she wins. And it's beautiful. I still... My headcanon is that she's a Zabrak because she has the horns on her head, on her helmet. Yeah, that would be cool. But we don't know. Maybe. Yeah, she could knows. also be, like, a descendant of um the particular clan that um aligned with Vader. Not Vader. Darth Maul or something. Oh! Yes, so someone on Tumblr, I do not remember this person's username, but shout out to the one person on Tumblr who's talking about Rookcast in 2020, because somebody mentioned that she might be either Rook or a descendant of Rookcast, who is in the Son of Dathomir, like Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, as one of the few Mandos who stuck with Maul after he was basically captured by Palpatine and, like, had no power for a little while. And I, she's... I really attached to her basically literally only because she wasn't, like, the best written character or anything, but she was a woman in armor who got to hang out with Darth Maul. And I was like, that's my new favorite character. <laughs> so... Yeah. And there was something, uh, I forgot who her name was. So thank you for reminding me. But the, 
her particular clan um, had like the kind of owl eye shapes in the helmet. I don't know if that's right, the right word, but that was always kind of how I associated it was like owl helmets. At the start of the Mandalorian, when I saw the armor as like helmet, I was like, that does remind me of those helmets from that one comic that I've forgotten exactly what it was about, who the characters are called, but the helmet shape looks familiar. Now, is she one of the Night Owls? Because that is a distinct clan, too. The Night Owls were the unit led by Bo-Katan, who held the Darksaber. So they might have. I can't remember, because it's been a long time. And and you're right. She does have that similar silhouette to her helmet. So I wonder if there's some kind of connection there. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that does have a uh, an extension like some kind of connection as a thing and even with the design being there it would be relatively easy for favreau or or another writer to come in and say like yeah that was connected all along even if it wasn't (laughs) you know (laughs) exactly yeah it is a very easy thing to connect um it would be really cool if it was some kind of like lineage from maul and his little adventure into the mandalorians so um oh yeah, he like also had- gets she also gives him his sigil finally which turns out that's like the connection to a clan and because he's a foundling i guess he's building his own clan um and him and his his little baby yoda get their clan of two <laughs> it's so cute yes and it kind of looks like the mud horn as well yeah i love yeah. that like this thing that absolutely destroyed you but the baby handled it <laughs> this is your clan now <laughs> I watched this episode on a rather small screen the first time. Um, this may actually... No, this was not the one I watched on my phone. I watched the previous one on my phone. But I had trouble telling what... Um, I also watched it for a second time on a larger screen before writing my review, to be clear. But um, I had trouble telling what the symbol was at first. So I thought... I was just like, oh, is it a mythosaur? Like, what is it? But once I saw it more clearly, it was more obvious. The the mudhorn symbolism and the, like, two-pronged, like, family of two symbolism. Ugh. So good. I'm totally distracted by how cool Rookcast was. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we have talked before. We um, have talked about this on Western Reaches, which is, like, the podcast the two of us do sometimes. And about how saying probably in fandom is a weird situation because like we can say well like was the armorer one of the night owls and that question is kind of meaningless if that script hasn't written been written yet right like yeah the the answer is we don't know until we write that but as a fan i am so used to thinking of the star wars timeline as like a real and coherent cohesive thing with contradictions here and there but still like a linear like flow of working time that that question feels very meaningful to me on a um like a watsonian level so i just we did a whole western reaches episode about that i just think it's cool still (laughs) yeah no i agree with you fully on that (laughs) then the our our heroes go to the lava flow and get on (laughs) a boat and have to ride the lava out. And there was like a little moment where I was like, that's not how lava works at all. But yeah, whatever. Same. <laughs> it's how lava works in Saturday morning cartoons. So it's definitely how it works in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, we I think we already got a good 
idea of how Lava Works of Star Wars from <laughs> Revenge of the Sith and <laughs> Anakin and Obi Wan not being affected by it at all. But whenever <laughs> I see them get close to Lava, I'm like, you are dead, my friend. You are dead. <laughs> Anakin did burst into flame eventually. He did. It did why. happen. <laughs> this also brings us to a truly distressing droid oh, so the distressing. karen charin the the boatman of the underworld in the form of an r2d2 with legs and arms <laughs> it's so big it's like uh, i hate it so much it's, it's like it's rare that i don't like a droid but as this was <laughs> happening i was just like internally screaming like please Stop. Just stop. Stop <laughs> rising up. Go back down. Stop being like this. Stop having big arms and legs and a body. I don't like it. I thought it was so funny. I heard the 2001 theme music in my head just swelling as it rose. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I It's horrible and I love it. <laughs> it's so horrible. Uh, thank you, Star Wars, for this distressing <laughs> thing. <laughs> thank you, Taika. So, or I, it's not necessarily him, but thank you to whoever designed that droid and signed off on that droid. I would not be surprised if it was him being like, what yeah. if we took an R2 toy and glued some big arms and legs on it? I, I feel like it's some kind of Saturday Night Live joke. Like, name, like, a Star Wars idea you come up with in the middle of the night when you're all out of other ideas, and it's just... Taika Waititi in bed, his eyes snap open, and he goes, R2 with legs. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, I I guess that's what happened. I'm going to believe that now. Technically, R2 has legs, but don't come at me for this, of all things. So... Um, then we, they emerge, well, I guess we get the sacrifice of IG-11, right? IG-11, uh, the self-destruct comes around again. He destroys himself for his friends. There's some really nice dialogue in here. I was very sad. And, uh, and he paves the way for them to escape, leaving, um, the only person left to fight them, Moff Gideon himself. And... I was so on board for this whole scene. It's like this is amazing. I it's so video gamey. Like this is the final boss fight. This is when like all your skills have to come together. And Moff Gideon is so good. And you can clearly tell there's like a moment where you can see Din Jaren, the Mando himself, deciding that he does not care that he does not know how to fly a jetpack. He is going to fly a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> And the pure, like, I don't know what's going to happen next body language of the characters themselves was amazing to me. The way that he goes through this whole show being like, I'm going to do this thing. It may not be a good idea, but whatever, I'm just going to do it. And the way you can just clearly tell that he's just like, whatever, (laughs) most of the time. He's like, what is happening? But also whatever. And this kind of felt like that as well. He was like, I'm just going to do this and hopefully it works. Mm-hmm. And it's very cool, not too deep, but really cool. Um, fights Gideon brings down the TIE Fighter. Him just they- flailing around at the end of his little like line to the TIE Fighter on his jetpack was real funny. Because it showed that he was like doing it, but he wasn't doing it great. <laughs> but he was doing it. And, and that's what's important. Succeeded. Yes. You just gotta yes. try. Even if you fail, you gotta try. 
So um, he he succeeds. The TIE fighter crashes. Our heroes escape. And which happens first, the, the Baby Yoda epilogue or the Darksaber epilogue? Baby Yoda, I'm pretty sure the Darksaber epilogue is like the last thing we see. Okay, so we've actually not talked about Baby Yoda much on this on on this episode. Yeah. Which seems weird. I think it's just like assumed like Baby Yoda is great and cute. I'm on board. I was I was skeptical at first. I was like, eh, it's okay. Even when he took the internet by storm, like season three, I was quite <laughs> skeptical. I'm totally bought in now. It just it just works now. I can't I can't critique baby yoda what kind of heartless person no <laughs> yeah no i agree with that um i also really like <laughs> I, just, I don't really mean that either i found him a little unconvincing in the beginning and i still think that the problem is that he is no he is nothing more than baby yoda but yeah also well, now um, i i like yeah. <laughs> that um is that little bit with the armorer um and the mando talking about like force users basically and being like these are our enemy but also this baby is yours and individuals don't necessarily like have to be bad just because the the like species or like the religion is our enemy um and then also like i liked the little bit where they talk about how if a foundling can't be mandalorian they will find its family and its place and take it back um so they don't just like kidnap kids and make them mandalorians there is like actual consideration in there yes and this episode really gives us the concrete connection between Din Djarin being a foundling and baby Yoda being a foundling and he is able to be who these other Mandalorians were to him for baby Yoda and that's yeah. a great theme oh it's so cute so and yeah and that seems like we're gonna kind of that's setting up what's next is either he's gonna look for yoda's species well he either way he's gonna look for yoda's species or the jedi which is an interesting distinction is he gonna look for force users or like yoda's species or either one or is yeah. he gonna you know adopt the baby which i think most people are rooting for to happen i would like him to adopt the baby <laughs> I would like the baby to remain in his care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering that, um, especially after the armor thing, I was like, they never, they're pretty ambiguous on whether it's like his species or the Jedi or Force users in general. Um, and in a way, I think it's kind of both, <laughs> but also that's kind of hard to figure out. I think they don't know potentially themselves. Like the Mando is like, uh, uh, I'm going to find someone else who can do this, I guess, or like some other little green guys. Yes. <laughs> and this is where I do get kind of worried with what are they going to do in terms of what does baby Yoda mean? So, for example, if they were to find another force user of some kind, if the show is going to go the big route with like, I'm going to give baby Yoda to Luke Skywalker, <laughs> would that feel, I mean, it would feel a little silly based only on what, this like theoretical idea because Mando and Yoda have such a connection. So it's got to be more than that. Like there's going to be more at stake than that. He's not just going to yeah. find him and like hand him to a Jedi. Cause also the Mando like hates Jedi or sees them as the, the enemy doesn't understand them. Oh, you know what? The really important thing is this is a chance for more star Wars characters who don't know star Wars lore content. 
Yes, and I do love that. My favorite kind of content. That's so good. So, yeah, I I think whatever it is, it's going to come from the heart. It's going to come from that emotional core of the connection between Din Djarin and Baby Yoda. Is Baby Yoda going to become more than, like, oh, he's cute and he's meant to sell toys? Maybe, maybe he doesn't need to. I'm having fun with this show overall as a ride that isn't super deep. And sometimes I wish it were more deep, but it also doesn't have to be. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean with that. And I feel like the whole skeptical thing of like Baby Yoda was made to sell toys doesn't entirely pan out because of the fact that they did not have any merchandise prepared for Baby Yoda taking everything by storm. Yeah. Like they're kind of (laughs) rushing now to do it. Like I think they knew Baby Yoda was going to be cute, but it's really hard to predict that everyone's going to be obsessed with like a little baby puppet. Like that's, yeah, it's not really a thing you can be like, yes, absolutely. The entire internet is going to be in love with this little thing because there are other things with cute little babies in them that people don't get super obsessed with. Um, And yeah, the fact they didn't have any merch prepared, I feel like reads very much like they were not (laughs) expecting quite as big a reaction to Baby Yoda as they got the biggest proof that I can give is that very first StarWars.com post with, like, Baby Yoda merch is here! And it's the same picture awkwardly placed onto different objects, like an Etsy uh, preview. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it's, like, not even a great picture. <laughs> it's not. So I feel like if it had been... If they had been expecting this, that post would not have happened. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot that wouldn't have happened if they were actually expecting this. So, and then the kind of last, last scene, which is the moment where in my notes, when I was reviewing the episode, my notes just became the words, oh no, in very <laughs> large letters. I was literally <laughs> yelling alone in my home about this. And that doesn't happen as often as one might think it, (laughs) like, one might think it does from how much I yell about media on the internet. I'm, like, pretty reserved at home. But this did it. And this is because, number one, it's just so cool. It's so Mm -hmm. cool, man. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, the Darksaber means so much to Mandalorians. I, this hit me like... Like, someone had stolen something from me, right? Because you know the Darksaber is symbolic of who, like, rules the Mandalorians. We know that Bo-Katan received it from Sabine, who wanted to unite the Mandalorians as sort of a functioning culture that didn't keep getting torn apart by wars and the Empire and civil wars. And Rebels, their Mandalorian arc, ends with this kind of positive... Uh, look at like Bo-Katan has the Darksaber now things are maybe gonna look up after all this chaos that's gone on on Mandalore itself and in that, yep. that area and then you see this guy who's clearly just like dripping with hatred for everyone who's not an Imperial with this Darksaber using it like a can opener to cut open the TIE Fighter and it really like offended me (laughs) like as a mando fan so which was incredibly effective and again like if you go back to when the darksaber first appeared in the clone wars i was like this is silly like this is 
it's a dark saber. It's super corny, whatever. But <laughs> but now I'm like I'm totally in I'm on board. It's it's in my like emotional register now. And then this guy comes along and just takes it. And I'm very mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do not like what this uh spells for Mandalorians prior to like this um i think it also like leads a lot into like all the theories that the mandalorian culture got pretty much destroyed which makes sense if uh the mandalore who had the dark saber no longer has it and now an imperial dude has it that's not that's not a good sign in general um i actually got spoiled for the dark saber because i hadn't had time to see the show the episode and i was like i know there's something cool in there because everyone's freaking out about it um and then i think pablo actually tweeted something about it because I don't remember what he tweeted, but I saw the reference to the Dark Saber, and I was like, "Hey, Kelly, we're gonna watch Mandalorian right now. We're watching the new episode right now." <laughs> like <laughs> that instantly made me go, "Okay, we have to watch this. I have to see the Dark Saber in live action." And I've always wanted to see it in live action because it just it sounds cool and it looks cool. It's just real cool, um, and I'm really excited about that. But yeah, as soon as I saw it, I was also like flashing back to all of the Clone Wars and Rebels stuff involving the Dark Saber, and I was just like, also like. Oh no. Oh no. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It was such a good moment. And I had talked to a friend of mine who has not watched all of the Clone Wars and said, so What did you think about that, sh- that shot? And he said, It was, it was scary. Like, oh, this guy's got a lightsaber. Like, that makes him, like, tougher, right? And so he did not have the context of the background, but he was still able, but it also worked for him because he was like, oh, cool, lightsaber, you know? Yeah, so, and also, like, it, it does, as a lightsaber, it also, like, looks wrong aesthetically. So I get pe- I imagine people, like, also have the reaction of, like, it's a lightsaber, but it looks bad. Yes, yeah. So that worked super well for me. <laughs> and also I like that people could then, like, look up what is a darksaber and then find a bunch of other content that they can get into if they want to. To learn more about Mandalorians. Did you say this specifically to point back to Den of Geek? Uh, yes, partly that, and partly because <laughs> I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely. Um, and Clone Wars coming out is really good timing for this because then people are gonna be able to just tab, o- like, literally tab over to that on Disney Plus and be like, yeah, oh, like the Siege of Mandalore is very well timed for this happening. Yes. So overall good season yeah i am very psyched for the next season i'm glad it's already in production um i got really excited when i heard it was going to be in fall 2020 and then i realized that our seasons are reversed and that is not as soon as i thought um <laughs> huh? you're in summer I was like, now right wow that's yeah i'm in summer now i was like wow that's okay. so soon and then i was like wait no 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 <laughs> that is not soon that is a whole year away <laughs> Got uh, Clone Wars in between there. Got some I... more Mandalorian content, which I did not know I was going to crave, like, more Mandalorian stuff. Because, I mean, all the Boba Fett stuff, I was like, whatever. This guy's he's wearing a cool helmet. Who cares? Like, Jango, he's cool. And, like, during the Clone Wars and Rebels, I was like, Mandalorians are cool, but they're not really my jam. And it turns out, this entire time, I've been harboring this deep, deep love for Mandalorians. And all <laughs> of this, like, lore about the Mandalorians has been stored in this little part of my brain. And the moment this show started, it all just came out. And I was like, oh, actually, no, I do love Mandalorians, turns out. <laughs> we, I don't want to have the exact same conversation again, but I do think this is relevant to the conversation we had about the Karen Travis Mando stuff, like, two yep. or three episodes ago, when we talked about the first half of the season 
so hopes for the next season, right? I want to see Cara Dune to continue to be in this story because I yeah. love her. I like I, the fact that um at the end her and Grief stick together because that means yeah. if we get more Cara, we also get more Grief. And I really enjoyed him as part of the team as well. I didn't expect it at all. Uh, and then when he joined it, I was just like, he's all in on Baby Yoda and I'm all in on him being part of the group. That was Cara Dune doing a good example of negotiating her salary when she gets a job offer. Yeah, I'm proud of her. <laughs> so definitely want to see more of her I would love to see more of Ming-Na Wen I don't really have like an in-universe horse in the race when it comes to do I think her character is alive I think that's a very like out of universe question yeah <laughs> but it definitely is in universe I want to see more of her because I enjoy her presence yeah and... she was really cool and she had a cool helmet I love characters with cool helmets yes yes and that's about all my like hopes and thoughts i the, my wild crazy dream is that luke skywalker does appear in this story somewhere but that's very unlikely i think yeah i do hate to be the pessimistic one but i don't think that's super likely but if it did happen i would be psyched it would be cool um it also give people like fans who aren't really like super into Star Wars, a good frame of reference for where this is set in the timeline. Mm, yeah. I think people haven't been... It's interesting how I think one of the mm, strengths of this is that it kind of doesn't matter. But yeah, that's it really also, doesn't. But on the other hand, that's the thing that two, like two hardcore fans can be kind of annoying. Because like for me, I do have to keep doing the mental math of like, okay... Uh, you know, how old is Ray Sloan? Or like, at least this episode we get, okay, this happens after all Rebels. And we know it happens after all the original trilogy because of Cara Dune's story. But it could fit anywhere. And that has both good and bad elements. I like it. Yeah, my main hope for it is just more Cara Dune and more grief. I just want, I want the team back together very much. I think that's everything. Anything you think we missed, uh, didn't talk too much about? I don't think so. I think we managed to get pretty much everything. Cool. So in that case, we're going to do our wrap up. Um, Saf, where can we find you on social media? And like, is there anything you want to shout out other than this podcast right now? You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Um, I also have a Patreon, which is the same handle, though it has been updated in a little while because I've been really busy. Um, so I want to shout out Rogue Podron because we did a bunch of Mandalorian episodes um, called The Podrilorian recently. So if you want to hear... A very chaotic take on the Mandalorian. That's where you go. Cool. Yeah, the Rogue Padron's a lot of fun. Very funny. Uh, a little bit not safe for work. So, a little but bit. Very Especially funny. since we uh, changed networks so that we could be less PG. <laughs> so, I'm Megan Krause. I can be found on Twitter at blog full of words. I've been writing, um, I've been polishing up uh, the Rise of Skywalker like response essay, which should be Ooh. on Den of Geek sometime soon. I'm excited and to read that. I hope it's good. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. So, thank you for joining us. Blaster Cannon is brought to you by Den of Geek, and you can also find our podcast on Twitter at Blaster Cannon Pod.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.